right, welcome to another edition of Reptile Fight Club. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Hope you're, you've been enjoying the show. Uh, we've been enjoying doing the show, so it's been fun. Um, you should have heard uh, last week's episode with uh, the guys from the Moralia Pythons crew versus the guys from the Herpetoculture uh, Network guys. So that sound that was a little jumbled there. The THP Herpt. No, is it THP? <laughs> Help me out here, Chuck. The TH. Yeah, right. Uh, the yeah. Herpetological yeah. Podcast Herpetological Network, or yeah, Herpetological Network. Anyway, good guy. <laughs> Justin Smith, Phil Wolf, the THP guys. And then Eric. Sorry to those guys for just completely butchering <laughs> that one. Yeah, I'm tired. We we were up till 4 a.m. most nights and then, you know, up, up the, it was hard to sleep in, but uh, despite, you know, having a nice place to stay and AC and stuff, but I'm um, sorry. I heard, I've heard you're not one to sleep in when you're, uh, when you're out in the field uh, herping. Yeah, I, well, and now I'm into birds, so the birds get up early, so you gotta go. Got, ah, yeah, 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 I got you. So, yeah, but yeah, it was late nights, early mornings, and hiking in, you know, 100-plus degree weather, uh, so uh, that was for my uh, trip to West Texas with the guys on the podcast last week, so um, hopefully enjoyed that discussion, uh, good topic, and it was fun to hang out with those guys. They're good guys for sure, and you'll probably hear uh, their podcast. They're, pro- they're going to release a joint podcast as well, so I don't think I was invited. I'm the odd man out. Oh. I'm the fifth wheel. Yeah. yeah, you're the spare tire. Yeah, exactly. I'm the peon guy with the, yeah. the new podcast, right? You're the donut. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the THP guys are up in the hundreds of episodes or, or, you know, a couple hundreds of episodes and the Morelia Pythons guys are going on 10 years. So, yeah, we're just the newbies. We're trying to get oh. 10. We're trying to get 10 episodes. I was just glad to be invited and find snakes for those guys. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you, you, yeah. Nice. <laughs> no, I'm just nice. teasing. We, we all uh, put in a lot of work, though. It was a lot. I think... Um, we walked at least, you know, 60 miles last week. So a lot of walking, a lot of hiking, but yeah, really cool country and cool stuff to see out there. So we did, we did pretty well, you know, found quite a few species, uh, in West Texas. Um, we mostly focused on the areas around Sanderson, you know, including like Fort Davis area, um, down into the national and state park of big band, uh, national and state parks. And, uh, just kind of hit a lot of areas. We drove like 3000 miles over the week. So a lot of driving, <laughs> not much road cruising. It's technically illegal down there. So you're not really allowed to road cruise like you would in other areas, but most of it's uh, driving between cuts and then, you know, walking along the cuts and, and, uh, seeing if you can find snakes crawling up them. Um, and you know, I, I guess some nights it might be going off and stuff, but between this trip and the last trip, I mean, you know, you were finding maybe one or two snakes on the cut a night. So it wasn't, you know, there wasn't a boon of animals around. And I mean, we put in the hours. There there was a, a gray band that was found on one of the cuts uh, west of, or east of Sanderson the night before we got there. So, I mean, people were finding Alterna, but it's just, you know, the luck of the yeah, drop. Hit, hit or miss here or there. Time. Yeah. Somebody yeah. found one crawling off the cuts, like in the grass, headed for the road, you know, right as they pulled up to the cuts at, at dusk. So, you know, uh, 
you, you see stuff, but mostly we saw, you know, night snakes on the cuts. We did see a couple nice rattlesnakes. I think my favorite find of the trip was a blacktail, uh, Crotalus ornatus. You um, posted, you posted that up. Yeah. Posted up. Nice. Yeah. Beautiful. Nice. Yeah. I, I agree. love that, that mask they have and the kind of that gray tones. They're, they're cool looking. Yeah, snake. for sure. Yeah. That thing was, you know, lit up. He was not settling down. He yeah. Just, and uh, we got some pretty good pictures. I'm excited to see Rob. Rob brought the professional equipment. All my pictures were just iPhone shots, except for the pictures I took of birds with my Zoom camera. So, um, And a couple of lizard pictures with the Zoom. So I'll be putting those up over time on Instagram or Facebook. So Cool. Check them out. Yeah, we'll have to see Bob Rock's uh, photography. Oh, he's, he's a skilled photography man. He'll nice. take, you know couple thousand pictures on the trip and that's <laughs> that's that's me anyway i take a thousand to keep three two or three right so, yeah, yeah. yeah it can't they can't all be bad yeah exactly <laughs> but you, you have a good setup with the the external flash and stuff like that so yeah fun. so i'm excited to see those and um it, you know we had a blast like just pretty much constant laughing and uh good times so nice yeah those those uh herp trips you know those are it's the way to get, you know, to know somebody really well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, fine for sure. but yeah, we had a good time. So I was, it was nice to get to know uh, Justin Smith and Phil Wolf. I, I'd done a trip with Eric and, and Rob, so I kind of, you know, knew what to expect with them, but it was a little different with Justin and Phil. So it was good to meet them. Just great guys all around, you know, who, uh, so that was a lot of fun. Who drove? Not me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I'm a driver, so it was a little hard to be a passenger, especially when you're telling them to stop yeah. five minutes for him to stop. And then you got to run. <laughs> That's why you got your extra <laughs> you know, steps. You did a great job. But yeah, he, he drove the whole time. So it was kind of nice. And, you know, we, we had a minivan. So that was the other frustrating thing is trying to get the doors open. I guess there's probably a way to disable the child locks, but we, we probably should have Googled that. That should have been the first thing we did. But, you know, we had to wait till he put it in park and then he unlocked the door before we could get out the door. So you're like, go on and rattling the thing. But. I think it's just a commentary on all you adult children in the back. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. <laughs> Probably should have been strapped into a safety harness or something. Safety seat, those kitty seats, whatever they're called. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been too long since my kids were in those. I've forgotten what they're called. But. Yeah. Car seat. Oh, there you go. Car yeah. Seat. See? Imagine that simple name, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, the girls say to tell you, to say hello to Chip Pants. So. Ah, yes. <laughs> Greetings hello. To <laughs> we'll tell do. them hello we were we were at the narbc in anaheim back in the day and my, i brought two of my daughters and they were pretty young you know like 10 12 somewhere yeah. around there yeah. and they they were messing with chuck and put some chips in his pockets on his cargo pants <laughs> and then they called him chip pants after that so and that's stuck you're forever chip pants so for better or for worse i hope you like the nickname you don't you don't get to pick your call signs, man. You get you get your call signs. And, <laughs> right. And they're generally not the most flattering call sign, you know. So. Especially from you know, ten year old girls. Well and exactly if if a if a bunch of uh, adult military individuals oh. give you a call sign, it's 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 far more degrading. So I'll take chip pants uh, any go. any day. All right, they'll be happy. Yeah, yeah. 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 
Well, they they think highly of you. Yeah. Nice. We were we were very disappointed we didn't get to go herp with you that weekend. No, yeah, that was a bummer, man. You know, uh we'll have to just come down again. That's uh, well, well, we'll do that. We need to do that for sure. For sure. I, I uh I'm due to get out of work and and uh get and do some camping, get away. So I'm I'm you know man, job. I'm using up all my time with that trip to California, trip to St. George, trip to Texas. I, I don't know how I'm getting away with all this at work. I'm yeah. I gotta head back. Yeah, I got I gotta head back to Indy for mm-hmm. a little while. I haven't seen my family in, in uh in a year or so, a couple of years now, I guess going yeah. on three. So oh, man. Uh, I'm due to, I'm due to head back, but I don't get them. I don't understand them. I live out in San Diego and I, they want me to travel back to Indiana to, and I'm yeah, like, what? okay. All <laughs> right. Well, why don't you come out here? But all right. Yeah. You know, so, but it's good. You know, I got friends back, back home and stuff. So yeah, that's cool. You know. Yeah. It looks like you always have a good time when you head out there. So. Yeah, it's oh nice yeah, definitely. Your old stomping grounds and stuff. For sure. For sure. Cool. Well, you got anything else going on with you? Um, no, not really. I, I got another egg out of, uh, the Felsuma grandis. So I've got five eggs now, uh, in the incubator. Uh, Ooh, they're pumping yeah. Yeah. Cool. They just, they just keep, keep going. Da-dunk, da-dunk, yeah. da-dunk, so um so that's good uh everything else is pretty pretty good you know just plugging away nothing nothing super new yeah. so well, i got some uh more leaf tail gecko eggs so nice I, I think the first clutch i t- tanked i i didn't do i did something wrong so i'm hoping these ones might go the distance but i think i already put them off on the wrong foot so we'll see what happens but i did hatch out some uh centralian knobtail geckos so that was a nice yeah yeah to those they were just sitting there waiting for me in the egg box so nice that was nice nice that's a good that's a good coming home present oh yeah they're so cool just Be- better than all those work emails and stuff that's waiting for you <laughs> oh yeah the mountain <laughs> yeah. Uh, i've been putting in extra time just to catch up so yeah good times good yeah. times all right. Well, we ready to get into this uh, fight here? Sure, let's fight. Okay. So our topic today, we're going to be debating the you know pros and cons or goods and bads of naturalistic setups versus kind of more sterile, you know, clinical setups. So um, we'll go ahead and flip the coin. And you want to call it? Sure. Okay. I'll, lo- I'll lose again. <laughs> yeah uh, you'd think i'd rig it or something but uh, yeah this is legit you don't need to i lose all on my own <laughs> okay here we go all right tails it's heads <laughs> see what i'm talking about all right well I, this is why i don't go to vegas i don't gamble i don't do because i'm a loser at that idea. stuff a good idea man <laughs> yeah don't gamble <laughs> yeah all right well I work, I work too hard for money anyway i don't want to give it up that easy i got right. uh, i got stuff to spend it on that's not giving it to some some poker dealer exactly yeah it's uh there's there's better ways to lose your money <laughs> yeah for sure well, I'll, I'll throw you a bone and I'll take the sterile caging. The caging, let you have the naturalistic setups. Uh, all right. All right. <laughs> Unless you, I was, mean, I was fully, I was, I was full. No, 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 no. I, I don't want to do that. I, you, no, you won. No, I, I'm, I mean, choosing I'm choosing. I've, I've got some good arguments, I think. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. No, I Go know. I that was kind of. Go for it. All right. Okay, so I'll take the sterile caging. And, and um, do you want to go first or second? Actually, I won the coin toss, so I'll let you go first. <laughs> okay. Um, what you got? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, if you're you're kind of talking about it, if you kind of uh, had tuned in for um, uh, the previous episode on um, – on how zoos can work with uh, private hobbyists. You know, there, we were talking a little bit about, you know, animal welfare and animal care and uh, how that's become a, a focus and not just, you know, in zoos, but, you know, kind of the talk around. Uh, so, you know, I think a naturalistic environment tends to, um, you know, lend itself to, um, you know, better en enrichment for the animal um, kind of, uh, oftentimes better security. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're getting them in, um, you know, a, a, a more comfortable environment. And then I, I think, you know, also if you're doing more naturalistic setups, you're, you're using, uh, plants and I mean, obviously plants will require, uh, the the proper type of lighting and and mm -hmm. humidity so you're 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 having to consider things that you know maybe in a sterile environment that's that's just something that's not not necessarily um as big of a consideration so you could probably skimp with you know subpar lighting and and uh you know your your misting will be more forgiving um and so you you kind of really got to dial in a little bit harder when you're doing a na more naturalistic setup i think that's probably how i'd lead yeah well I, you know i think that's a a point you know for for my side is that you know you you can uh when you're keeping a lot of animals and, you know, you may not have a lot of time, sometimes those naturalistic setups can, like you said, take, take up a lot of, you know, precious time to set up right. It takes a lot more equipment or materials, you know, you got to worry about keeping the plants alive or getting the right mix of the soil or keeping the soil moist. Um, you know, the, the right, uh, moisture consistency, if you get it too wet, you know, you got issues and you might have skin blisters forming on the animals or, you know, the plants might die and you have to replace plants all the time. So you're, you're spending more money on plants than you want to. So, you know, there's kind of a lot of downsides to, to naturalistic setups. Whereas, you know, with, the with the, the ease and, and availability of materials for, you know, kind of the more sterile setups, um, you know, you don't have to worry about those things. You can go in, switch out the, you know, bedding or, or the paper or whatever you're keeping your animal on, depending on the species. And it makes, you know, cage cleaning easy. Um, it makes things kind of standardized. So, you know, I think there's a lot of benefits to, to that aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, I hear what you're saying. I, I, I mean, I, I, I kind of disagree with you. I, I certainly think that your initial cost is, is greater, you know, buying plants and, you know, buying the lighting and, and, uh, you know, probably a misting system. Um, but you know, I think if you set it up right and you're, you're competent in what you do, I mean, you know, if you, um, don't have a green thumb and you kill every plant you touch, uh, and you don't understand, uh, how to grow plants or, or, 
or the requirements of the plants that you're putting in. You don't build your caging, you know, you don't build your setup correctly and you have uh, inappropriate plants to pair together, then that's probably not going to work out very well. And yes, you're right. You will lose plants. Um, and, you know, to some degree, um, I, I kind of think, you know, figuring out where things work sometimes i know this happens in my garden is you know not everything grows great in, in where you put it and so you got to kind of figure that out but you know in the and and maybe you are spending more money in the initial but you know in a sterile setup you're changing that setup constantly you're you know if you're using paper towels or whatever you're you're hopefully you're changing that every three, four days, uh, because otherwise, you know, you, you, you know, mold will still grow in, 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 uh, paper towels if you, if you're not on top of it and you're still in there changing water and changing, you know, so if you are replacing your plastic water bowls and you're just doing the, I want to be as sterile as possible and you just throw them out and you're doing like little, like uh, deli cup type, you know, water things that then you're spending that kind of money over the much longer haul and, and consuming more resource. Um, whereas I think in a naturalistic setup, you're, you know, you're, you're not throwing all that soil away. And, um, you know, if you set your cage up right, uh, and you put a drainage layer in there, you can go in there. And if you, if it does over water, you have an issue, you can siphon that water off and, uh, you know, you just shut off your, your misting system and, and let the cage dry a little bit. Um, I, you know, I think there's, um, there's definitely ways to correct stuff like that. And certainly if you, if you don't, um, you know, it, it'll lead to problems. And, and even if, you know, you use a sterile setup and you're not, you're not on top of a sterile setup, you can have problems too. I mean, you know, bacteria True. will grow yeah. in, in all environments. So yeah, that's, that's what well, I said to that man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, uh, I would probably disagree you know just for the one fact that if you're having to replace those uvb bulbs on a regular schedule like you should you're going to spend a lot of money those things are, are pretty pricey so you know i you know i don't have anything against the the naturalistic setups they're just a lot of a lot of work in a lot of cases and it, sure. it may be very difficult to get get them right and so in a natural environment where the animal comes from um, you know, like in a, in a given soil sample, and this of course depends on the area, but like in, in just a, an average soil sample, you're going to have 10 to the 10th bacteria per, per square you know, or per, per cubic uh, centimeter. So, you know, that's yeah. a, that's a tremendous amount of bacteria. And, you know, if you're getting your soil from home depot or from you know lowe's or something you don't know what what you know that's not the proper bacteria for for their environment and you're probably going to put pothos in there and that's not necessarily a native plant that they're going to experience or be around you know so you know i think a lot of times if you, if you wanted to do a a real naturalistic setup you know and you're using plants from their region and you know maybe even some so seeding some seeding the soil with soil from the area or using a similar soil and you know promoting growth of those natural beneficial bacteria that would then in turn potentially go to populate you know potentially populate their gut microflora and things like that you know i could see that but 
who does that? You know, we're typically just getting whatever dirt is available and whatever plants are at Home Depot or whatever. So I guess I would argue that's not necessarily naturalistic at all. It's it looks like nature, but it's not necessarily what those animals would be experiencing in the wild. It looks pretty and stuff, but that's probably more for us than for the animals, you know. And then people are, you know, all excited about the the different uh, isopods and springtails and things like that. And again, if those don't come from the same region as your animals, is that considered naturalistic? I think there's, you know, potentially an argument to be made that that's not really necessarily beneficial to the animal if you're if you're seeding the environment with the wrong kind of soil, the wrong kind of plants, the wrong kind of bacteria, you know, that kind of idea, um, you know, who are you really helping? So is that for you or for the animal? And, you know, I, I like to go in and look at a nice setup that has some branches or rocks or things like that. That's, that's fine. But with all the, all the extras and all the costs that uh, comes with those extras, and if they're not even from the area that the animal comes from, what's the point, right? No, I mean, I don't, I don't agree with that. That's silly. Um, <laughs> I mean, so to kind of pick this back apart, cause there were several points made there, um, you know, the, and certainly hopefully you're not buying your soil from Home Depot. Home Depot is shit. I mean, they, they use the worst ingredients you can find. Uh, and you know, they, it, it, they're, they're not selling you a, a quality soil. Um, and so, um, if you want to do your homework and you want to build a soil, uh, that is as close to the naturalistic, um, type of soil that animal comes from, you can certainly do that. I mean, I don't think that you have to necessarily go to Australia or Madagascar and, you know, uh, take some dirt home with you in order to make it uh, a naturalistic thing. That's, that's kind of a silly. Probably uh, if you do that. Yeah. A hundred percent you would. Um, so, so maybe your argument's a little off the table just from a legal logistical standpoint, but um, I, I certainly don't think that the animals say, my God, uh, this is not the right terra firma for me. I do not feel comfortable in this. Uh, now, certainly, if you're not using the type of soil, I mean, certain, you know, like monitors r really need a very specific makeup in their soil. And that's about, you know, the humidity that it holds, the shape that it holds, um, you know, the temperature that it holds. Um, and so, you know, there is definitely some work to be done around those things. But I don't think any of these animals say, ah, this, this is not a natural plant, uh, from where I came from because I was probably born in a deli cup and I don't know any different. Um, now do these animals absolutely make their niches in within certain plants and certain habitats? Yes, they do. But that doesn't mean that if you don't provide, you know, the, the natural plants, uh, and, and soil and, uh, mimic their, uh, native environment that they don't benefit from uh, a naturalistic setup. Um, and, you know, the, the, the idea that, you know, 
if you don't keep any environment correctly, you're going to leverage bad bacteria. It's and 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 any living um, system, uh, whether it's a cage of of live system or or outside, uh, there's always that competition between good and bad bacteria. And generally speaking, animals stay healthy because good bacteria tends to outcompete bad bacteria. And it's when you know you make um, anaerobic. Uh, conditions where you get uh, bacteria that, you know, aren't, aren't supposed to be there. And then you start to see negative things happen. Uh, or when you, you know, when you swing the balance of humidity or, or um, things like that way into uh, a bad direction. I, I think that's, that's really when you, you'll see issues, but I don't, I mean, you know, and, and Hey, if you, you know, I agree with you, if you're gonna, if you're gonna make a naturalistic setup, do it all the way, man, like try to try to make it as, as awesome as it can be for the animal. But, you know, for those people who, um, may not have access to certain plants, I mean, not all plants from, uh, different areas can be gotten readily. Uh, so, you know, uh, sometimes you got to deal with what you have, but I don't think that it's a reason not to do it. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm, I'm curious where you, where you get your soil mixes from. Cause I see a lot of people, you know, get plain sand from Home Depot and mix it with some soil mixture from Home Depot. And that's their, and I, you know, I've used that in my monitor cages and you know, what do you, what do you, uh, sure. You well, I mean, I, you can, you can definitely buy single ingredients. I tend to work out of, uh, horticultural stores, nurseries. Um, you know, there, there's, there's definitely places that specialize in certain types of aggregates, uh, and you know, they're, they're probably harder to find. Um, and, and you know, I, I, I think, you know, what you're, talking about compositionally is just different minerals, different, uh, soil substrates, uh, whether you're talking about, uh, and, and, you know, it's all, it's all comes from mineral basically. Right. And, and basically depending upon how decomposed it is, is what we talk about, whether it's a sandy loam or a loam or, you know, um, so, you know, the composition of those rocks may differ, which in turn changes the soil composition type. Um, and, and you can play with that and, and you can add different things into the, into the mix that, you know, maybe in that natural soil isn't there. Um, but, but, you know, ultimately too, you know, we are sometimes limited, but, you know, I mean, you can kind of look at now, would I go buy play sand? No, I would probably prefer beach sand because if you've ever looked at the ingredients in play sand, I, I'm, I'm really not super jazzed to have that, uh, in, you know, in, in those cages that, that dust is silicate based and it has a, a other compositional chemical. I mean, that's more of a chemically based sand, um, that to me than a mineral based sand. So mm -hmm. I would go to a beach or somewhere like that. Um, if it's like crushed, crushed sand is what like crushed rocks into sand. Then it's got the angular, almost like walking on broken glass kind of, uh, you know, so I, I think a lot of people may not know these things and they're just going with what they, what they get, you know, what they sure. get at a Home Depot and they, oh, there's, there's sand. I'll buy that, you know, and it could be, you know, detrimental to the animals. So 
Um, you know, a lot of times when people are pushing, hey, you've got to put it, you know, keep it naturalistic. You got to, or you, the animals are going to suffer, or the animals are going to be sad, or whatever, you know. Um, then, you know, you, you can have people that run into problems. And so I think in a lot of cases, especially for, you know, people who are doing this for the first time, or even, you know, if they've been doing it for a while in a sterile environment and they want to switch over to a naturalistic, there's a lot of work and a lot of education that goes along with that. And now you, you have a background in that. So, you know, you might think, oh, that's, that's no, no big deal, pretty easy, but you went to college for, you know, a long time to, to get that uh, knowledge. And so, you know, most people may not have that. And most people probably don't consider the biotic features as well. You know, they'll, they'll think about the abiotic features, but the biotic features are a different story. And sure. you know, bacteria, I, you know, animals evolve in, in different areas and they're, they, they evolve, co-evolve with the different bacterial components of the soil and things like that, that all plays into it. So it's, you know, it's a little more complex. And, you know, I think in a lot of cases, sometimes we might be better served by not doing that, you know, not going naturalistic and, and keeping it more basic and, and easily uh, changed and modified and things. So another, th another thing too, is, uh, you know, like, uh, there's a lot of places in naturalistic vivaria for, for prey items to hide and, and then they can come out at night and cause problems for a diurnal lizard, you know, crickets might chew on the animal or, or, you know, different things like that. Or, um, the, the roaches might burrow into the soil and you'll never see them, you know, and then there'll be this, this gargantuan roach walking around later on that the lizard can't possibly get and it might stress the animal out. So there's some other, factors you know when you're considering like uh you know i keep a lot of knob tails and sometimes uh the dubia roaches will dig down under the sand and you you won't be able to find them. now in a naturalistic setup that would be a big pain you'd almost have to go through regularly and sift through the sand to get all the roaches out whereas in a simpler setup with just a, a you know kind of a, a layer of sand and, and a couple hides it's quite easy to find the roaches and, and get them out and clean the feces out things like that so um, I think in, in a lot of cases, the more simplistic, uh, setups can benefit, uh, more shy animals or more animals that are easily stressed out by things like an overabundance of prey items in the cage. So I think, you know, there's another argument for keeping a simplistic setup. I mean, I think the other side to that is you just don't put too many prey items in the cage at a time. Yeah, I mean, well, you, more more direct feeding, uh, yeah, you know, right. I, and and you know, I, I I do think that you can, yeah, you know, it, which again it, takes a lot of time, right? I mean, if you're having to sit there and hand feed each animal a certain number of insects, and if maybe if they're too shy to eat off the tongs, you know, what do you, you know, it's it's it can be very complicated. Yeah, well, I mean, I, okay, so yeah, I mean. <laughs> But you don't think that you don't think that you could still experience some of those same problems in a in in a more sterile environment. I mean, they can still hide even if you're on sure. newspaper or paper towel. They can get into the folds and hide under that. And, yeah. you know, you don't see it. And then they're chewing on the animal in the middle of the night. I mean, that can still happen. Right. Yeah. So so I mean, does so what you're saying is a naturalistic uh, enclosure provides more opportunity for that because they might hide a little bit better, but you, you, you know, the, both, both instances, uh, present the opportunity for that to happen. Right. 
yeah, but I mean, one one is a lot easier. You go in there, you say, "Did it eat?" You, you know, look, you know, shake the sand a little, find the find the roaches or whatever, find the crickets. It's it's not that difficult. Whereas in a naturalistic setup, if you got a good bunch of cork bark or plants or something, there's a there's a lot of places for the insects to hide, and insects hide very well. And so, you know, you might spend a whole day looking through your cage to find missing insects and you know, again, just a time-consuming thing. Sure, you might use a bowl or something, but they can jump out or you know, crawl out of the bowl. Well, and, and I mean, you know, like I'll, I'll throw a bunch of crickets in with with uh, my day geckos, and and the day geckos tend to stay up high in the in the enclosure, and the crickets tend to hide low. And when the crickets mm-hmm. move around during the day, the the geckos are like, ah, gotcha, bitch, and you know. They'll, they'll go after a, a, a delayed meal, you know, not something mm-hmm. they took right then. So I don't, I, you know, I, not to say that, that that's the, the norm, but I, I mean, I don't necessarily think just because you overput, you know, prey items in there and, and then, and, and it's all context, right? What are we, ta- sure. what kind of prey yeah. items are we talking about? What animals yeah. are we talking about? So it's very, um, you know, it's a little nuanced with what, um, you know, what's okay, what's not okay. And, and I think, you know, if you're talking roaches, yeah, you're, you're, you don't want to dump a handful of roaches into an enclosure because you're right. They'll go right for the soil and they'll, they'll bury themselves in there and, you know, they'll, they'll sit in that soil forever. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, and, and, and I like to tong feed roaches when I do that. And, and if they don't eat them, I don't, I don't leave them in there. So, you know, I, I just think there's stuff you can do that, that is more targeted and, and, you know, you have to be a little bit, um, you have to be a little bit analytical and, you know, you don't have to go to college for this stuff. Uh, I, I, I mean, certainly, you know, uh, going to school helped me understand parameters that we all, that nature works within and, and it helps me create that in a naturalistic setup, but they're not terribly difficult concepts to come up with. Uh, and you know, if you can do the homework and we have the, you know, the, the internet and, and there's great books out there and um, people can go find that information if you want it. And, and I would argue that, you know, Hey, maybe there is a place for sterile keeping. Um, I personally like to keep babies uh, sterile. Uh, I like at least a lot of my baby snakes and I've had, you know, substrates that just have caused me problems and like paper towel seems to be the greatest thing for me to keep baby snakes on. Do I keep everything that way? No, all my geckos and stuff are all naturalistic. I like that. I think they like that. I think they benefit from it. So, you know, again, all things in their place. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with doing all naturalistic setups or, or, and, and, I'll be honest with you. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing all sterile setups either. I think this idea that, um, you know, that if you don't deck out a cage that an animal can't feel secure or can't feel uh, safe to reproduce and do those, those prime um, things that, that really, you know, key, key, whether you're having success with that animal or not, if an animal will reproduce in a sterile cage, then that is not a super stressed out animal. Um, you know, most things that are stressed out don't do natural behaviors, um, yeah. or, 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 or don't behave, uh, in, in a, 
um, more predictable way. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, there, there is some, there is probably a a good concept of, of good stress. I think there is a level of stress in, in animals as well as in humans that, you know, where we need a certain amount of stress or, uh, to, to function properly, to, you know, burn different calories or, or things like that. I mean, there, there's, there's been some recent studies that have been done in reptiles showing that some stress is good. I believe I heard Zach Lofman talking about that. So, um, you know, there, there's, there's different ideas of, of that. So, you know, you may not, uh, you know, and maybe a natural environment could stress them out if it's not done properly, you know, if they're getting rained on too often or something and they're like, what, you know, I, this is not necessary. I don't right. need to be rained on every night, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I always go back to that, that Terry Phillips analogy that, you know, yeah, I've got prairie rattlesnakes in South Dakota and it snows every year, but I'm not dumping snow in my prairie rattler enclosure. Right. You know? And yeah. I think a lot of times we, we look for the necessary elements of keeping reptiles, right? What's, what's very important and, you know, and, and to have success, you might need to, you know, with some species, some species are easier. And I think the easy species you may not need to hit on that many um, elements of their natural environment to have success. You might you might just need the correct thermal gradient and a water bowl, and you're good to go. You know they're going to breed. <laughs> um, whereas another species like your Helmaharas or you know some some other hard to breed species um, might need you know ten different elements of their natural environment. You know maybe. Well, uh, or, you know, maybe uh, uh, biotic factors or maybe, you know, moisture levels or, you know, all these different factors that you might consider. Interesting that you would say that. I mean, when when I was growing my Tracy eye up, I removed all their hides and I put them in smaller enclosures. So they had no hides. They just sat out. Um, and they got very comfortable doing that. So, you know, I, I, I think, and, you know, I bred them in smaller enclosures. They, you know, they were in 36, 24, 24 enclosures, uh, long until when they were adults. And most people were like, Oh, that is just, no, dude, that is way too small of a cage for a snake that size. And I, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think one of the big reasons I had success is because I kept them in a smaller, tighter cage and, and that cage, they made them feel secure and, and they didn't need extra hides or all this. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys that are, uh, or gals that are out there, um, doing very naturalistic, heavily planted, lots of hides. And I'm not telling anybody that's wrong. I'm just saying I had success not doing that. So, you know, is that really necessary? I don't think so. I think having the animal feel secure in, you know, and I wouldn't recommend everybody do what I did. I just did it and I had success. Um, you know, but I, I like to do things that go against kind of what the conventional wisdom is of things. Cause I like to question stuff like that. Could they have totally stressed out and all died? Yeah, they could have, but they didn't. So, you know, um, and, and I kept them very nat, you know, very, uh, sterile, uh, the whole time. I, I, I think that works for me. Um, that, the, you know, I, I, I don't, uh, you know, I don't see the need to, to, to go that route now, you know, um, 
the are you know and and for me for the babies i like keeping them uh sterile because i like to have that level of control over mm-hmm. what's going on and uh especially with so you know while i definitely like naturalistic stuff yeah. you know and it has its place so does so does a sterile environment as well and i think you you know as a keeper you need to make those decisions and uh and and a lot of that is you know observationally based a lot of it is uh preference and skill level um you know i wouldn't recommend somebody who's uh you know first time keeper go jump right into bioactive stuff that's a lot of information to digest uh and and so you know like like a lot of the things that i i've kind of talked about is it's a it's your trajectory you know what i mean and the longer you do it the 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 little more skilled you become and astute and more comfortable and you know the more you want to dip your toe into a different uh side of the pool so yeah. Well, d- did you want to make a point for naturalistic vivaria or just a bunch of points for my side? <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, 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 hey, I, I didn't even want to take the naturalistic side. You were the one who was like, I'll take the sterile side. So I'm like, fine, dude. So you get a you get a hand me the wind because <laughs> I took the wrong side. <laughs> I know. Well, okay. So um maybe i'll make a couple points for for uh naturalistic environments i i would say no, like don't help me out i don't need your damn help bro you just keep going on your tirade uh i just you know i just want to clarify the the secret of your success with tracy i was oh, we're clear simple conditions <laughs> No, I said that was what I felt was a contributing factor. I yeah. actually think that the caging size was a, a bigger. So rather than planting it out and having all the hides in the cage, having in a cage that makes them or an enclosure that makes them feel secure, regardless of how the inside of the cage is, is, is what I'm saying. I, I went for a smaller enclosure and I didn't feel like I needed to plant it out and deck it out and put a bunch of shit in there to make the animals feel secure. I just noticed that the animals really didn't seem to mind. And, you know, I, I had them in smaller tubs when they were younger. Uh, and then I put them in smaller cages when they were older. And, and that seems to be something that works really well. And I, I think that, you know, just as a, as, as a general statement, that's that now, you know, um, so I, I think, you know, that, that does speak, yeah, I, maybe a good, good topic for a future discussion. And this was suggested by uh, one of our Australian friends, uh, Darren Boswell, but he, um, suggested that we talk about anthropomorphism at some point, because that's kind of a, you know, a cool topic. There's a lot of anthropomorphism that goes on, uh, with reptiles. And so, you know, we, we, uh, tend to do that and think, oh, this, you know, this snake will want to crawl around and, and have a giant cage. And, you know, that's, that's in our minds. What, but what, what do snakes do when you let them loose in a giant room? They crawl to the darkest, tightest corner they can squeeze themselves into because that's sure. where they feel secure. Now, yeah. you know, of course there's limitations to that and you need to be careful, but I mean, pythons are, are designed or have evolved to be uh, ambush predators they mm-hmm. sit in one spot for a very long time until a meal comes along if if meals came to them and mates came to them would they move would they just sit in that small dark tight space 
maybe they'd come out to bask once in a while. And, you know, there can be arguments for that aspect of, of Python husbandry, but you know, there's, they're, they're built to sit there. <laughs> so no, and a lot of snakes will come out to bask, but they won't come, they won't come right on out and, you know, go trucking around. They'll come out, they'll bask, they'll go back. You know, they, they're, they're not exposing themselves. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's a, it's a risk versus reward yeah. to, for me in the, in, in my mind with them. And, and if they don't have to go searching for a meal, they're not, they're not rolling out. That's, that's why their metabolism's optimized like it is yeah. so that yeah. they, so that they can let it come to them and just sit back and not have to expend a lot of energy and, and, uh, you know, now does that mean that you feed them more often? No, it, it probably means they need to eat less often because they're they're let they're expending less energy to go out and and get food. Um, yep. So you know, I mean, you, you got to keep it all in context. But yeah, I I hundred percent agree with you that anthropomorphism is a huge issue that we have, and and I think that um, you know a lot of the pitfalls that we fall into um around um setting up you know animals establishing wild caught animals in captivity breeding wild caught animals anthrop anthropomorphism plays a, a definite role in that yeah yeah for sure so yeah i i i do think you you made a good point about you know the 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 level of control when you have a more sterile environment you can monitor animals so especially if you're getting a new animal putting it into quarantine having an appropriate quarantine you know period you want to watch the animal you want to you know make sure you can check out its uh, feces to make sure there's no you know worms crawling in it or or you know that their water bowl stays clean and things like that so when you have a sterile environment um, you know, checking on an animal in quarantine becomes much easier. You know, you can spot a, a mite crawling across a, a paper towel a lot easier than you can spot a mite in a naturalistic enclosure. So I absolutely if, agree with that. You know, if you're getting a first time, you know, animal you, you or you're getting an, uh, a new animal, you want to monitor it on, in a more sterile. Control. You don't want to deal with a mite infection oh, infestation no. in a naturalistic environment. That yeah. would suck. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's almost not doable. Like it, you, you're, yeah. you know, I mean, that that's not a, so, so, you know, like I said before, all things in their place. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, the, the, then it gets into, and I don't really have the answer for this, but you know, is, is keeping in a sterile, uh, environment is that good is is that the most beneficial thing for the immune system of these animals um, I, hear, I hear a lot of talk about the immune system and, and and you know and people too and people don't know what the crap they're talking about when it comes to the immune and that's system. why i'm not making definitive statements but, yeah it's, you know it's what i mean and how much research has been done on the immune system of reptiles there is actually a researcher at utah state that's looking into that and you know corresponding the or correlating the uh, immunity and sun exposure and temperature Always looking to plug yeah. yourself man what well, a my university it's not me yeah doing. well <laughs> But it's uh, uh, Dr. <laughs> Susanna French, and you know she, oh, man, she's got the the dream job. She gets to go to the Galapagos and study reptiles there and and stuff like that. So you know, pretty cool. That but, is pretty cool. You know, she, she has done some studies with uh, the uh, immunity in reptiles, and I'm, I wonder if she'd come on the show. That'd be kind of fun to have her on here and talk about that. 
that aspect. Uh, Hook uh, it up. We can settle this yeah. argument. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we'll, I'll see if she's willing to come. But on I mean, I, I do, I do think that you see, you know, certainly, um, you know, uh, a reptile's immune system is, is different. It's very different from ours. Um, in some, in some respects, right? Like, you know, uh, but at the same time, you know, we, um, when we're cold, we, we become a little bit more susceptible to things, right? Like, obviously, you know, m- my wife's so funny. She's like, oh, cold doesn't make people sick. Germs make people sick, right? And yeah. uh, that's true. But, but, but the temperature your body's operating at has something to do with your susceptibility, right? Because when well, you're when you're good. when you're when you're at temperature, mm-hmm. but I mean that's a good point. If if there's no if there's no pathogen present, you're not necessarily going to get sick. You know, get an infection and sick and you know, from right. that. You might have some. Uh, you know, you might be at a homeostasis. You might have some physical physiological disease that manifests itself um you know and and that you know the diet we eat the the lifestyle we lead those kind of things definitely contribute to things like heart disease you don't need a pathogen to have heart disease or you know diabetes or things like that and there's some genetic components that fit into that as well you know we we've got um sickle cell anemia people who are heterozygous for sickle cell anemia are resilient to um malaria and the you know malaria pathogens have a hard time infecting their red blood cells if they're heterozygous for sickle cell anemia. But if they're homozygous for sickle cell anemia, then that is another issue. You know they have that disease based on that genetic trait and and the sickle you know formation of their red blood cells, which is not a great you know state to be in. So you know there's different, uh, different well, aspects. but there's and there's also a correlation between people who don't have healthy oral hygiene and you know uh, and heart problems because that bacteria gets into the bloodstream and yeah. and you're having you know so so there can't yeah absolutely and and so it's you know not necessarily like hey man you don't brush your teeth right you're going to have a heart attack but if you're not eating, like, like you said, there's other, other things. And here we are anthropomorphizing, uh, you know, uh, disease and reptiles through humans. But I, I, I think that there is definitely, um, that's you know, something to be said. Every night I brush their teeth just so they don't get heart disease. <laughs> that's, that's see. If that happens in humans. It must happen in reptiles. Right? No, I, I, I think, you know, that, and, and, you know, we don't know a lot and that's the hard thing when you're ignorant on d- different subjects. Um, you can, you can draw a lot of possible conclusions. Absolutely. In the, re- in herpetoculture, we do a great job of drawing conclusions from very little data and making that, doctrine right how many times have you heard these different you know things that you do or don't do in herpetoculture because somebody had that happen once and you know and and there's some different ideas about that but uh, you know it's a lot of it's not scientifically based right they haven't done proper controlled studies to definitively show that that contributes or doesn't contribute so a lot of people talk a big game no and it never I, I think we're we're kind of running a field of the topic, but you know, I, I think it all kind of ties back into that. Like we we think we know, we think we say, oh, if I you know give them plants and give them uh, dirt and I give them some you know some duck bill uh, 
isopods, then they'll be just fine. And, and that's, they'll, they'll be happy, you know, <laughs> then we'll, we'll, we'll set them up. Well, and that no, but I, but I think, but I think you do have to set up the enclosure correctly and, and you do need isopods to help break down some of that waste. And, and, um, you know, I mean, I think there's just some, some reasons why you have them in there that, uh, mm-hmm. are, aren't necessarily, uh, you know, they're, they're just kind of, a an, how a a natural environment works i mean you have decomposers and when you don't have them in there and you have animals that shit like you're going to get a a a buildup of of fecal matter which you know can have bacteria bacteria will feed on that you will get a certain type of of dominant bacteria in there so i mean i definitely think that uh that you know isopods have their place and and i do think that you know bacterial competition is is um something that happens in a naturalistic setup and i don't think that the that in a properly balanced naturalistic setup that that's a negative thing for the animal i I think you see very very healthy very thriving animals in really really well done naturalistic setups so you know again that's the the lighting that's the 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 type of moisture that's in there it's the you know the the overall health for the animal the security for the animal the enrichment for the animal and the diet that you have the animal on so you know i i think definitely a naturalistic setup provides opportunities for a more robust uh life for that animal now at the same time can you get that animal down the road with a sterile setup sure sure Mm -hmm. Uh, is one better than the other well i i don't know that's debatable you know you can obviously the point point i was trying to make was that if if you don't set it up properly there's a lot more avenues for issues. There's a lot more avenues for problems. You know, say you you don't have sufficient amounts of isopods and you're just like, oh, you know, they'll clean up all the poop. But you got, you know, a, an eight foot python in a giant enclosure taking giant turds, you know, because you feed it every week. Um, yeah, that that may not be sufficient. You yeah. still need to pull those out of there or, or get some dung beetles or something. to. Yeah, you know. yeah. No, if, if, if you're, yeah, if, if you're dropping horse-sized deuces in there, that's, uh, I, that's, that's probably more, you got, you got to have an, uh, an isopod army to handle that. And, um, so, but yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, it's a lot of it's situationally based. You got to use some of that common sense and some of that, uh, information that you glean, uh, and, and, you know, there's people out there doing it. You can go, you can go find them, hit them up. And we, you know, we live in an information age where we're all yeah. connected at the, you know, at, at the touch of a button. So, but you know, I, but I think there is kind of that, uh, uh, we're going through a phase right now where if you're not doing it naturalistically, you're being shamed. Like you're, like you're not doing it right. And I want to make that point that. Yeah. That's how I feel like you are. You're like, Oh, everything should be natural. I like natural caging. I don't like all these guys who are using tubs. That was you. I heard you say that just so we're clear. Well, I, 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 I'm saying I want bigger cages. But I'm not keeping I'm not keeping naturalistic cages. I'm keeping larger enclosures with, you know, I'll put some pine shavings, but I do that in my rack systems with the hatchlings and things too. So yeah, but, not but a large in, but a large enclosure with pine shavings isn't like 
isn't like i mean i guess it's it's, not I, I guess you're right no. it's not no you're right i guess you didn't say it was naturalist no i, I i'm but not i thought sure. i remember you saying you know large more natural engaging enclosures for my snakes i think that's appropriate you know and that might not be for like you said you know, i just for, thought you were backpedaling a little there maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong it's so consistent here you need all to right pay attention that's hey that's what i say about you when i talk about you you're consistent dude <laughs> so you know i think if but that push to to have people go naturalistic and you know and and then if they don't have the 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 proper knowledge or they're not doing their research and they just say oh i just need isopods dirt and some plants and they throw it all in there and you know buy a bulb from you know home depot or whatever and it may not be the right thing may not be the right setup and they might actually do more damage than good for their animals if they're doing it improperly so you know there's more more uh avenues for error if you're setting up a naturalistic setup improperly versus keeping them simplistically um so you know i I would definitely say that's keeping I agree with that. I mean, I agree with that. There's a, a higher level of skill that is needed to set stuff up correctly. You need more money. You need more resource. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But it, but at the same time, you know, you, you can still screw up a, a sterile setup too. Um, you know, it, there's, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily now, is it more, a little more forgiving? It does it, you know, cost less is it probably a better avenue for somebody who's just getting into it to to have the animal to keep it you know yeah but like i said you know um i keep all young snakes on that on on you know very sterile setups so you know all things in their place and i, I agree with that man like uh you know um now you, you know will not <laughs> what's that I said you'd be a fool not to agree with me. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll keep the ego out of this, right? Can you? Can you do that? that? I don't know. You're supposed to laugh. <laughs> I did. I'm laughing on the inside right now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> now I'm laughing on the outside. Yeah. Well, you got any more points for the benefits of setups? Um, I mean, you know, other than they're just pleasant to look at, you know, I think that, um, you know, if you're going to invest, um, all your money and resource and keeping an animal in your home and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's out for display, uh, you make, a uh, a, a positive representation, uh, for people who maybe not into, you know, uh, reptiles or, or, or whatever. And, and, um, you know, they come over to your house and you cook out and they're like, oh, man, that's so cool. Like they become engaged by something that they maybe didn't care as much about uh, when they first, you know, um, when they first set foot in your home. So I, I think there's an opportunity for, uh, you know, to 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 kind of bring people around into seeing, uh, um, you know, uh, just a nicely uh, a done setup that has potential for positive benefit for the animal enjoyment for the keeper. And, uh, you know, um, just kind of, uh, uh, an appreciation for somebody who maybe didn't appreciate before. Yeah. Um, I would, I would also bring up the point, uh, in favor of kind of the more simplistic things is we're, we're in a, a morph driven, uh, society. Herpeticulture is kind of, morphed. did you just take this to morphs? 
I did. Wow. I want to hear this now. I want to hear this. Yeah. I I may not, may not be down that Avenue very far, but I do have a couple morphs, right? I mean, it's true. It's true. Nice animals, of course. So, um, and I think, uh, the Eric Burke kind of made this point and, you know, one of our discussions on the herp trip that um, if you've got a morph, you want that morph to pop. You want to be able to see it and have it, you know, everybody be able to ooh and ah over this cool looking morph. So that's, you know, when we go to reptile shows and there's a line of these crazy looking ball pythons that have all sorts of different paint jobs, it's, it's visually, you know, appealing and stimulating. So if you, if you're setting yourself or setting your stuff up, fairly simplistically where somebody looking in the cage, they're going to see that really cool looking animal, really cool looking morph. So I think uh, a more simplistic or basic setup can really bring out the animal and make the animal pop. So, and, and, you know, there, these morphs aren't surviving in the wild, you know, there, there's not a population of albinos anywhere. I mean, you might have one or two pop up here or there, but if you're, if you're wanting to stare at your albino, you want to look at the paint job on the snake, not necessarily look at, you know, a well-planted terrarium and try to search for the snake because it's going to stand out like a sore thumb anyway. So what's the point? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if I, I mean, it, you know, I, like. You don't, don't, don't go against the pod father. No, I, I'm just saying uh, like if, if you, don't it, you know, if the Mona Lisa was in a really shitty frame, you know what I mean? You'd be like, man, that's a beautiful painting, but what the fuck, man? You really pulled up short with putting it in a frame. Like this thing's jankety, right? Like, I I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't think, no, I'm just saying, I don't think that like a basic setup necessarily (laughs) accentuates a morph. I think having Mm -hmm. a beautiful setup with a beautiful animal accentuates the whole thing. Um, I, that's just me. I, 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 I kind of see what you're saying. I just don't necessarily agree with it. I mean, I think you could even take an animal that isn't spectacular looking. And if you, if you do the, the setup, right, you can let that animal camouflage. You can almost play off its natural environment where people might see like, Oh man, I totally see why that animal's colored that way. That's the environment that it blends into. Oh, that makes so much sense. So you can actually help people draw conclusions about, you know, natural history of animals based on a, 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 a well-done naturalistic setup. But, you know, I see what you're saying. I just think, you know, you know well, nobody yeah. wants to see the Mona Lisa in a, in a, in a <laughs> rickety frame. Well, you're again, I mean, the frame is such a small component of it, just like a, you know, you might have a nice, you know, plastic cage or something and, and it's got, you know, and, uh, it's easy to clean or, or it's got all the bells and whistles, you know, the nice lighting and stuff, but people are not looking at the cage going, Ooh, wow. Look at that cage. They're looking at the animal. Right. Sure. Yeah. I get that. I understand. Except you're, you know, unless you're some, you know, dorky reptile nerd, I guess, like we all are to some extent, but they're looking at the animal, not the cage. So, um, I, 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 you know, you want that animal to be brought out. So, you know, putting it in a kind of a, a more plain sterile environment, they're going to see the animal and be able to appreciate the animal a little better. Um, and, you know, personally, I, I agree that, uh, uh, a wild type animal in a natural environment where you might not even see the animal because it blends in so well, you know, like those 
uh, leaf tails I've, I've got, you know, I, sometimes I, I'm sitting there looking for them in the cage and they're right in front of my face. They just blend in really well. So that to me, I, I yeah. really like, you know, and, and a lot of, you know, I feel bad for zoos because they have, they have to kind of walk that tightrope between having people be able to see the animals and display animals that may not necessarily be out during the middle of the day. And I really like kind of those nocturnal houses where you can go in and see them active, you know, like they'd be active at night. And that's kind of cool. You know, that requires a little trickery to reverse the day and night schedule and to have a dark room where you're not letting light in constantly. So some challenges there, but it's, you know, cool that way. Um, well, so and I, I think that's what zoos are. That's what zoos do, though, right? I mean, well, I mean, that's what you would hope zoos do is 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 well, try to that, right? They're they're moving towards bigger um, naturalistic cages where yeah. you can see the animal because you know they're kind of moving towards that attitude. It's not necessarily our because right. they've already agreed. I've won this argument. Well, that, you know, who can do the zoo, you know, who can do what a zoo can do? Not I, I don't have that kind of room to, to make a, a naturalistic cage for a, a troop of uh, baboons or something. I was going to say your yard isn't big enough for a uh, herd of elephants. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It's close. No. <laughs> um, but you know, we, we, uh, we like to view these animals and we like to be able to see them. And, you know, if you kind of go to somebody's collection and you can't see anything, it's maybe a little disappointing. So, you know, having those more simplistic setups can, can be exciting for people sure. to see animals, get them excited about that. So there is, there is an aspect of that that's, that's, that's beneficial in, in that way. So, well, you got any closing statements? No, well, I, I, other than just zoos agree with me, um, I think I'll finish it up there. You know what I mean? I, Fair enough. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, it, if to be able to to monitor new animals, to be able to um, accommodate larger collections, uh, simplistic setups and easily, you know, cleanable setups um, are definitely going to win out over over naturalistic setups. And that's not to say you can't have one or two really nice naturalistic setups where you can enjoy a wild type animal in its natural environment. But overall, you know, it's, it's just makes a lot more sense to have simplistic setups. Um, so that would yeah. be my closing statement there. I think space is tough for, for a lot of people. I mean, you know, unlimited space is not something most people have. So I definitely get why people need to, you know, keep, keep in rack systems or keep more sterile, you know, uh, easier to keep stuff. But I think, you know, like I, like I said, you know, a, a really well planted couple of cages in your house that just really show off the, the, you know, the, the, the potential of keeping an animal, um, you know, in, in a naturalistic environment, you know, really pops for your room. It pops, you know, it, it becomes a conversation piece. There's, there's a lot of, of pluses to it, but, but I agree in most cases, you know, keeping a, an entire collection of animals that way is, is, uh, almost cost prohibitive for a lot of people. Yeah. Unless you're a dart frog breeder, then yeah. I'm about all naturalistic aquariums. I think that's kind of a cool way to go. It is. And it it, it it looks expensive to me when I see it, though. Yeah, but it's not. It's not bad once you, like you said, once you get it set up, it's pretty yeah. straightforward. But yeah, definitely a good discussion and one that's kind of needed. I, you know, again, these there's that push towards you know naturalistic vivaria, and while that's not um, bad on its own, if you're shaming somebody for not having a naturalistic 
set up, that then I think you're moving into dangerous territory because hundred percent not everybody may be able to do that properly or have the means to do it or may have too many animals to do it. And so if we're having some standard of, oh, you've got to have giant naturalistic setups for everything or you're a monster, uh, probably we should take a step back and say, okay, what's, what's the real motivation here behind that sentiment? You know, Mm -hmm. are you doing it for you to make yourself feel more important because you have a couple animals set up in really nice naturalistic enclosures? Um, you know, that, that's not everybody's MO. So, you know, let's, uh, let's kind of live and let live. Not to say that we don't want to put more information out there about naturalistic setups. And there's a lot of good information. I mean, when I was, building a dart frog terrarium, I, you know, had, there was some really great information. You know, Josh's frogs has a wealth of information. There's a lot of different YouTube videos or, or papers on, you know, care sheets or whatever, kind of walking you step-by-step through important aspects of setting up naturalistic enclosures. So, you know, the resources are out there, like you were saying, so we need to do that, but you know, definitely a a good discussion and, and something that, you know, we need to consider both sides and not just, say if you're not if you're not doing it this way then you're not doing it right you know because there's mm-hmm. a lot of ways to keep these animals happy and healthy and and you know not necessarily not necessarily from an anthropomorphic view but you know from try to look at it from their perspective as well sure like, you know simplifying with your Halmahera is that that kind of what you attributed you know some of your success to because you, you kind of read those animals and realized you know maybe their stress levels were a little higher in bigger cages even though they had plentiful hides and you saw that i had a jungle carpet python in my early days of keeping that uh, was refusing food for months you know he went about six months without a meal because he wouldn't eat and so i i uh, was cleaning his his large spacious enclosure one day and uh put him in a you know a smaller tub to clean his his big cage and I, when i opened the tub to put him back in his cage he was looking at me like feed me seymour you know and so i threw in a couple rodents and he took them right away and you know ate ate to his heart's content you know so he was telling me this big cage is stressing me out i don't feel comfortable enough to do the basic function of feeding and so you know that smaller enclosure uh helped him kind of uh, kickstart. And so I, I kept him in, uh, that smaller tub enclosure for quite a while until he was regularly feeding, aggressively feeding. And then I moved him into the bigger enclosure mm-hmm. and he was after that. So yeah. you gotta, you gotta be a student of the serpent. You gotta read your animals and, and, you know, consider their, their needs from, from their perspective. And that's a difficult task because, you know, it's, it's hard not to anthropomorphize because we're people. <laughs> that's yep. what we do. That's what we know. Yep. We make our own stories up for whatever we want to do. So, well, sometimes it's easy to see what you want. You know what I mean? If you, if you, if you're really not looking for uh, what it is and you, you want to see what you want to see, that's always there to see. I I promise you people can find what they want to see when they want to see it. You know what I mean? So it it definitely takes uh, some patience and, and just kind of a, a really neutral opinion about things to a lot of times to, to really kind of hopefully make a, 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 a successful insight. And, you know, I'm not even sure any of the insights that I've made are, are anything. They just, maybe I just had success because I've had them for a long time and, 
And nothing that I did leading up to this would have made a hill of beans either way. It's just they've been with me long enough that they're just kind of like, all right, we're, we're, we're going to do this, you know, like this. I know. And I think, you know, I definitely think long, the, the length of time in captivity for wild caught stuff has a probably one of the largest factors to reproducing something. Um, if, you know, short, short term stuff, you know, animals don't make long term decisions off of short time, mm-hmm. you know, evaluations. So, um, yeah. yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, being consistent with an animal is, is, you know, very important, especially if you've identified something, you know, a need in the animal from the animal's point of view. So, yeah, yeah, uh, I, I, you know, people have complained that we're not, you know, tough enough or mean enough on each other. Maybe we need some kind of wrestler persona or something. (laughs) I eat your grandchildren. (laughs) I I will go down to TJ and I will get us some, uh, some Libre masks and uh, we can, we can come up with wrestling names and insult each other and, and have a very grandiose personality on here. I'm down for that. That's fine with me. There we go. I'll do that. All right. We'll we'll develop our, uh, you know, I've, I guess I never was into the uh, professional (laughs) in quotes. uh, Wrestling. wrestling. Yeah. So maybe that's hard for me and I, you know, you're my buddy. So, you know, it's hard to, hard to get into it too. Well, I mean, you know, you're not going to catch me putting on uh, uh, on a uh, a speedo and and knee high leather boots and trying to wrestle you. So um, yeah, I I, 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 I think <laughs> yeah, you should feel safe. You should. Yeah. You, you don't got to worry about that with me. But uh, but if you do need a a, a a a Mexican wrestling mask, I'm your guy. I guess the, you know, the overall point to all the discussions is there's two sides to every story. You know, there's, there's good aspects on either side and, you know, we need to consider both sides. We need to think about both sides. So, you know, that's kind of the main goal of this is to, to get you to think about, you know, something you may not have considered, or you may not think about if you're in the, if you're in one camp, just strongly and dogmatically, you know, maybe you need to kind of step back and think about, why people keep you know things simplistically or why they keep them naturalistically you know because there's there's some people that are just so firmly on one side or the other that they can't see the forest for the trees you know they're they're just gonna uh, ridicule others for not doing it the way they're doing it you know it's it's yep. bizarre but that happens quite a lot and that's that's missed opportunity you know what yeah, i mean I, right? I'm, you know missed you, opportunity for growth yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. Well, my friend, this has been another good good discussion. So, yep. thanks thanks everybody for listening, and we'll uh, we'll hope to have some more good good discussions here in the future. We've had a lot of good you know good good suggestions. So, if you're coming to us with suggestions, you know we we'll be prepared. We're probably going to ask you if you want to come on the podcast. So, have somebody in mind that you want to do battle with and and uh, debate debate the topic you have now it's hard too if you're you know on one side or the other of the debate to just debate the other side because frankly i i like the idea of naturalistic cages so i you know i thought well i'm going to stretch it a little and take the other side on that i kind of like the idea of sterile cages you know that see so so this was definitely a an instance where we we got you you flipped the script on me even though you won the coin cot the the oh my gosh the coin toss so yeah yeah no uh people need to uh to get on here and uh duke it out with each other that'd be great man we i i you know i i enjoyed uh 
I enjoyed, uh, you know, all, all when guests come on and to hear them yeah. kind of go at it. I, I kind of, I kind of know where you sit. You still bring good points. Probably but, you know, I like to hear the, yeah. the argument from fresh we, we perspectives. We know each other. Yeah. We know each other pretty yeah. well. So we kind of know where each other is. I, I guess I'm a little fight you, man. I still fight you. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go the rounds. What? What do you, you but, you're yeah, surprised I'm what? The, the, no, I was I was a little surprised you you were, uh, you were on the sterile caging side. I thought you were into the naturalistic. So I mean, cool. I've just I, I I I've just I, I don't know, man. Every time I start to use substrates or like the more you know that it it it, it can definitely add a layer of complication in and and I've just you know new uh, like like um paper towel and and uh, a plain water dish and and you know all plastic a little plastic uh perch and and a, and a plastic tub is very you can sterilize it very easy it's very quick it's great for young animals that you know you 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 just i just I, i've had a lot of success with it and i think that it it has its place and you know um it, if you know, if we were trying to reintroduce animals back into the wild, I guess I could be like, dude, he, you need to set that up so that animal doesn't freak out when yeah. you so know it, hide and find a good hide. Yeah, spot. yeah. So yeah, let it let it kind of do some of its natural behavior before yeah. we you try to re-release it. But that's not what we're doing. So yeah. you know, um, and, and I mean, if you go behind the scenes, I've, I've gone. You know, you and I have gone behind yeah. the scenes in zoos, and and we see. You know what's going on behind the the displays, and it's pretty simplistic. Sure, <laughs> I was shocked. At, well, I, I guess I didn't have a very good understanding of Gila monsters, and we went behind the scenes of one of the zoos, and they had a bunch of Gila monsters in a rack system that looked like absolutely cramped. And and, mm -hmm. and from from an anthropomorphic point of view, these these were suffering animals in yeah. tiny little cages. And I said, "What's the deal? Why are you keeping them these?" And they said. Oh, believe us, we we kept them in much bigger things, but they did so much better in these simplistic, cramped setups that you know that's the only way we could have success with them because yeah. that's what they do in the wild. They go in a burrow and they stay there. They come out, you know, maybe for a month or two out of the year. The rest of the time, they're holed up in some small area, and you know that that's what yep. they want. That's what. Well, and I, I remember the there were some tree monitor cages, uh, and one of the zoos was breeding tree monitors, and these cages were not very big. They were vertical, but they weren't very big, and mm. they were having great sex, success breeding tree monitors. So you know, it's I mean, you know conventional wisdom being the root of all evil or something like that is, is the same, yeah. you know, you, you just gotta, you know, kind of get out of your own preconceived notions about stuff. And yeah. I certainly and, was surprised in some of the things that I've seen that, that has led me to be like, I don't know shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, that's always the, if, if you think you know something, you know, you, or you're, you're very dogmatic on one issue, you probably don't know a lot, you know, and you need to yeah. do more research or more thinking about it. And, you know, I, I guess it, you know, if you can, you know, once they explained with the Gila's why they did it that way, it's like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Of course. You know, yeah. That fits in with their natural history. It fits in with what the animals do and, you know, in their natural environment. So of course that makes sense. So, yeah. you know, 
you can see that, it from that. That cool. anthropomorphism creeping yeah. in, right? Yeah. If you just judge it based on face value and you don't realize, oh, they probably put a decade or more into figuring these things out or, yeah. or, or they, or they went to a, a hobbyist that was successful with them and asked them, how, how do you do this? You know, how are you so, so successful with these things? Oh, keep them in small tubs. Oh, okay. We'll try it. And it works. And so, yeah, of course, uh, yeah. but you know, they have to display the animals and so they have different, and you know, I don't know well, how and, many, and, and you know, how, how bad was even, how, even in a zoo, like, I would, I would point to the sun gazer exhibit that you see most sun gazers in, they have them in a desert environment with rocks and high heat and sand. No, they come from like a meadow. They come from like a, from like a cow pasture with yeah. <laughs> digging burrows in the dirt and the temperatures dropping like down to the sixties and fifties at night and getting up into like the nineties during the day, you know, they, they come from a very different environment that, but you look at them and you think, Oh, spiky lizard equals desert lizard. You know? Yeah. So yeah. a lot of times we make those wrong assumptions and that's frankly why a lot of people didn't have success. Whereas somebody like, I think, as far as I know, the only ones that have bred them outside of their natural habitat, you know, just keeping them and, you know, not counting keeping in outdoor pens in South Africa was Bert Langworth because he went yeah. to South Africa and he observed them and he watched them and he said, okay, I'm going to try this. And he put them in a pasture, you know, and he let them dig burrows or he, or he made burrows that were similar to the ones in the wild and they extended those or used those. And he, took temperatures and he made sure they were experiencing the right temperatures. And then he like thought, Oh, the grass is growing too high. So he'd mow the burrows so they could see each other from their burrows. And he got, he got some, you know, reproductive events from, from his sun gazers. So, you know, if you consider their natural environment and you do your research, you're probably going to do a lot better with those animals. than. And how bad would the public freak out if they saw rack systems and, you know, st that's, that's yeah. not what, you know, and, and, you know, that's, that's, that goes to the whole animal welfare piece is, is people who don't understand, um, they, they think that, you know, uh, a nar something that looks natural is where that animal is most comfortable. And they're, they're kind of maybe possibly missing some nuance in that idea. So. Yeah. 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 I mean, natural in, if you're, if you're, if you're unaware of their natural history, <laughs> you might have the right. wrong natural environment. So, well, know, and, like, and, and I, I feel like, you know, of, in, uh, it's not beneficial if it's done improperly or not according to their natural history. Yeah. And, and you, you kind of see in, in keepers, um, a lot of them kind of get in for the morph, right. And, and then they get interested in the natural history and then that they get interested in that natural history. Then they get interested in stuff like naturalistic enclosures because they start, all that stuff starts to churn in the progression of, of the keeper. And they're like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm connecting dots here. I get yeah. it. I get it. Okay. So, you know, I mean, I think it's a, you know, it's a good yeah. thing, but like all things in their place, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, man, good, good topic. Good discussion. Thanks for, uh, for your insight into this. And, um, we'll, we'll, uh, try to get some more good topics coming up here soon. Some more guests as well. Um, we've got some good ones lined up. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if you have anything that you want to say at the end here, check out, uh, the Morelia Pythons network, uh, shows and, and, uh, 
you know, we've got some good, good content coming out soon from, from our, uh, the other podcasts within the umbrella of the Morelia Pythons network. So check them out. I think we've mentioned those on, on most of our shows, you, you know what they are. So go listen to them and, and keep, uh, supporting Morelia Pythons Network. There's also, you know, an opportunity to be, become a Patreon if you go to Patreon and support Morelia Pythons uh, Network. I, I'm kind of ignorant on this. I'm not sure how to. I tried to do it and I kind of got lost. Maybe it's because I'm a boomer or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm an old man. Don't know what I'm doing, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure the Podfather will straighten you out. Exactly. He needs to show me how to do it right. Yeah. But. I think I think he explained it to where I can do it, but yeah, go to Patreon, look up Morelia Pythons Radio or Morelia Pythons Network, and you can become a Patreon and support the the podcast. And that uh, you know goes to help building this uh, podcast uh, umbrella. So good stuff. All right, Doctor J, always a pleasure. Thanks everybody. Definitely. Yeah, thanks for listening. Catch you later. Point seven.